Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Have you ever seen the 1990s sitcom called Home Improvement? It's with, uh, with Tim Allen and he's Tim the Toolman Taylor and he's got his own tool show called Tool Time and I, I love that. We're watching that as a family right now. It's kind of our family show going back to the 90s. And, and what's so great about Tim the Toolman Taylor is just how obsessed he is with power. He's always grunting, going, more power. And he's doing the craziest of things. Like there's, there's this one episode where he takes a kitchen sink and changes out the disposal and puts in a gas-powered disposal just so he can have more power. He puts a tree limb in his disposal just because he can Another episode where he puts a jet engine on the back of a riding lawnmower just so he can win a race for riding lawnmowers. My favorite episode, though, was it was a Christmas episode. And he put so many Christmas lights out on his house that there was an airplane that was able to land in the middle of a blizzard because his lights were that bright, which personally, if you know me at all, I aspire to that kind of greatness. Makes Tim Taylor my hero. But Tim the Toolman Taylor, he is obsessed with power. But what makes the show so funny is just how little he really understands about power. I mean, all his, invention, his inventions never work. They literally blow up in his face and he ends up going to the hospital over and over and over again because he loves power. He just doesn't get how power works. Now, what I think's a, a pretty sad story of humanity is that there are more of us like Tim the Toolman Taylor than we even realize. There are a lot of us and we love power, but we just don't get how power works and we don't know how to handle power. Now, maybe you're hearing me right now and you're going, okay, well, Jason, what do you mean when you say power? There could be a lot of different definitions of power. Well, here's what I mean. Power is the ability to control people or circumstances to get what we want when we want it. That's power. Ultimately, by whatever means possible, we can control people or we can control circumstances and use them to get what we want when we want it. That at its core, that's power. Which I know some of you would go, well, then apparently I don't have any kind of power because I can't get anybody to do anything I want. And, and I get you might feel that way because in your mind, you know, the powerful, those are CEOs of companies or billionaires or people in the political sphere or whatever. Those are powerful people and that's just not you. And you might mistakenly think you don't have any power, but let me tell you, power comes in all kinds of forms and fashions. Power can be a parent who uses guilt in order to get their children to do what they want them to do. Power can be an employee who uses a passive aggressive nature that when the boss tells them to do something, they say, yes, sir, and then they don't do it at all. That, that's a, it's a form of power. I'm trying to control my circumstances to do what I want, not what someone else tells me to do. Power sometimes is manipulating circumstances or people so we can get what we want. Power can be sometimes just always having to be right, always trying to win, whatever it may be. These are all forms of power. And every single one of us has some kind of power over some people and over cir- some circumstances to get what we want when we want it. We may not have complete power, but we all have some kind of power. And what makes it so dangerous is that we don't realize that when we don't understand power and yet we grab for it and we want it and we have it, it can blow up in our face just like it did over and over to Tim the Toolman Taylor. Power can be exceptionally dangerous. But there is a right way to get true power. And when we can understand that as believers, it will transform our lives. And so this morning, we're going to understand where true power comes from and how we get it safely and powerfully. We're going to get it from the story we're going on in the sermon series, Living the Dream. So I want you to open your Bibles. You're going to go to the very first book where we're at, and you're going to find Genesis 48. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through all the 48 and some of 49. 
But while you're getting this passage, let me go ahead and catch you up on the greater story. I know there's always new people tuning in. So we're in a sermon series called Living the Dream where we've been following the life of Joseph all the way back in Genesis 37. And we're gonna go all the way through the end of the book in Genesis 50. Now the story of Joseph, it's a story of rags to riches. Here was this guy who was an ex-con, ex-slave, and he ends up being the second highest person in the entire land of Egypt. Incredible story of God's divine intervention as he is able to interpret a dream for Pharaoh and he saves Egypt and he ends up saving his own family and country because you discover that he's able to bring his family together into Egypt and and they reconcile after his brothers had mistreated him so poorly at the beginning of his life. And last week we heard how his father Jacob left the land of Canaan, took all his possessions, all his children, all his livestock, and went to the land of Goshen in Egypt and was reconciled and brought back together with his son Joseph. And it was a beautiful moment. And then 17 years later, we get to Genesis 48. And Jacob, the father, is about to die. And he's about to extend blessing to his children, about to give power to his children. And I want you to see what takes place in this scenario. So join with me, chapter 48, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, by the way, it's just another name for Jacob. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Now, now just take a real quick moment here. I want to make sure you understand what's going on. So Jacob's about to die. Joseph comes to see him. And the first thing Jacob does is he recounts a vision that he had been given some 30 years before by God. So he's back in the promised land and he travels through a city called Luz. And in this city, He has a vision with God, an encounter with God. And God tells him in that moment, Jacob, I'm going to make you powerful. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to turn you into a great nation. And through you, your descendancy will become great. They too will have power. Now, the reason why he's recalling this is because he's about to divvy up that power to his children as he passes out the inheritance. And he wants his children to know he's got the right by God himself to pass out this power. But he's going to start by the person who deserves the most blessing by Joseph and his two children. Okay, now with that in mind, we can get back to the story in verse five. Here's what it says. Verse five. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them, they shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way where there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now, now stop there again for a second. So you might have missed what just took place, but Jacob said, Joseph, I'm gonna adopt your two children. He says it back in verse five, and now your two sons, the ones that you had in the land of Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are mine. He's saying, I am bringing them in as my own children. I will be their father. Now, when you hear that, there's a side going, wait a second. Right here, we just heard Joseph is 147 years old. He's on his deathbed. What in the world is he doing adopting his grandchildren at this moment? That that ship has sailed, brother. You're not gonna bring these two kids and parent them. And in our minds, we really struggle with it because we we look at it with, with modern lenses. And what we think is, okay, when a grandparent adopts their grandchildren, 
the only reason they would do that is because some kind of family crisis. It was out of necessity. It wouldn't be what they would prefer, but, but maybe they had to take their grandkids in because their parents, their children, weren't able to watch the grandchildren, and so they bring them in. It's, it's not a good scenario. And so you're reading this going, well, why in the world would Jacob adopt them? Did Joseph do a bad job? Was he in trouble? Was something going wrong? And, and I, I want to assure you, You've got to be careful. Nothing's going wrong here. You've got to be careful not to read the Old Testament with modern eyes. You've got to read it with ancient eyes. And so what's going on here is not a slight on Joseph's parenting. It's not saying you're not doing a good job with Ephraim and Manasseh. What he's doing is he's trying to adopt them so that they'll get a full portion of the inheritance. Back then, when you had children, you would give them some portion of the inheritance and it would be equally divided among all the children, except the eldest would have the birthright, so he'd get a double portion of the inheritance. Now, that should be Reuben who gets a double portion, but you're going to discover in a little bit that he's lost that because of some sin he commits. And so what he's doing, what Jacob is doing, is he's saying, Joseph, I want to give you the double portion, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to adopt Ephraim and Manasseh so they become my own children. So each one of them gets a full portion of the inheritance. You see, if he didn't do this, Joseph would have gotten one portion, which meant Ephraim and Manasseh would have had to split that one portion. So they each would have gotten a half portion of the inheritance, half the power. But Jacob says, no, Joseph, I want you to have the birthright. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to adopt your two kids. They're each going to get a full portion, which means you, Joseph, are going to get a double portion. You're going to get the birthright. That's what he's doing. He's adopting them to bless Joseph. He's blessing Joseph for his obedience and his faith. He's bestowing upon him even more power and preeminence. Now, what we're going to discover as we keep reading, though, is that absolutely Joseph is blessed with power given to him by his daddy, Jacob. But that didn't mean he got to control where that power went. And as you keep reading, you're going to discover that Joseph doesn't get to control Jacob's blessing. Let's keep on going. See what happens next. Verse 8. It says, when Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, who were these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, okay, now stop there just for a moment. It's really kind of odd if you stop and think about verse 8. It says, Joseph, uh, Israel, Jacob, sees Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and says, who were these? It doesn't make any sense because he's just saying Ephraim and Manasseh are mine. He knows Ephraim and Manasseh are right there in the room. So what in the world is he doing turn around going, who are these? What's going on here is actually something beautiful. We're getting a glimpse at an ancient adoption ceremony, which I think is really cool. Maybe you can think about it this way. So when I perform a wedding, one of the first things I say is, dearly beloved, we're gathered together here in the sight of God and I have introductions. And then I ask the question, who gives this bride to be married to this groom? And typically if the father's there, the father will say, her mother and I do. And then they kiss the bride and then they come up together to have the ceremony. Now, when I ask the question, who gives this bride to be married to her husband? It's not that I don't know who it is. He's standing right in front of me. I know it's the father. We've had a rehearsal. What this is about is the ceremony of it. It's a chance for a public declaration. And so what he's doing here, this is a public ceremony of adoption. He's saying, who are these children? Knowing full well who they are. And Joseph answers appropriately. They are my sons given to me in Egypt. There's a formality to it because he's officially and formally adopting them. And as you move on, you're going to see, though, that Jacob does something very unusual in this adoption ceremony. Keep going. Verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he couldn't see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your, your offspring also. 
Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel, and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the, hand of, the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand was on Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And it says, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So it says that now came the time for blessing and like the normal ceremony would be, Joseph does what's right. He puts, he puts Manasseh, the firstborn, underneath Israel, Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim, the younger, under his left hand. The reason why is because the right hand in Hebrew culture was the hand of power. It was a, a display, a, a putting on of more power upon that particular child. But as you saw, it says Jacob does something where he crosses his hands and he puts his right hand, the hand of power, upon the younger brother Ephraim and then he puts the left hand upon the older brother Manasseh saying, I'm putting more power upon the younger brother Ephraim. Now what you're going to discover is this bothered Joseph. This didn't seem right to him, so he tries to stop it. Keep reading, verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Before I'm about to die, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So it says that Joseph tries to change his hands back and Jacob says, no, no, Joseph. I know you're worried about Manasseh. Don't worry, he's gonna be okay. But this is a divine move by God himself. God has determined that Ephraim, the younger, will be more powerful. He will have more preeminence and more blessing. And I think in reading this, we're learning a very important lesson. It's a lesson that's repeated all throughout the book of Genesis. And it's that God gives power to those who least deserve it. And what he's doing is he's taking the, the younger brother, the one who didn't deserve it, and saying, I choose by my grace to put greater power upon you. This is the same thing that had happened to Jacob, the daddy. He was the younger brother of a set of twins, yet God chose Jacob to be preeminent, to be the one that would be the patriarch. This actually happened to Judah's son, Judah's son, if you remember, through Tamar was Perez. And he was supposed to be the younger one, but he pushed his way out and he became the one by which the royal line would come. Over and over, you see this pattern of the younger one being the one who had preeminence and power and blessing. Again, God is showing all throughout the book of Genesis that God gives grace. God gives power to those who least deserve it. Now, let me stop right there. I want to say something because there's some of you who need to hear this. That is great news for you and for me. Because I know there's some of you watching this right now and you desperately need the power of God in your life. There are things going on. There are, there are ways you need to see God move, but you know you don't deserve his power. You know you've screwed up. You know that you've done things to rebel and offend God and you don't deserve it. But God, by his grace, gives power to those who least deserve it. And that should encourage you. 
That should make you expectant for God to move in you. But as true as that is, let me give you a warning. Yes, God gives power to those who least deserve it, but God also takes away power from those who try to seek power for themselves. What you're going to discover as we keep on going is that the oldest sons of Jacob, each one of them were power hungry and they did power grabs. And because of it, God removed power from them because they were seeking power for themselves. Let's keep on going. We'll read on about Reuben, the firstborn in chapter 49, verse one. It says, then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now, now what's going on here is this is a recollection of something that took place back in Genesis chapter 35, verse 22. It says, Reuben, he was the firstborn. He should have had the, the birthright, the double portion, the double display of power. But what he did was he slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And because of that, he defiled himself and his father. Which I know some of you, you hear that and you're going, that is just, that's just nasty. That is so sinful. And you think it's sexual sin. But it was actually much worse than that. In, in ancient culture, this was a power grab. You see, by sleeping with Jacob's concubine, he was claiming power. He was claiming to be on the level with Jacob, preeminent over his brothers, as if he was the one who deserved the position of father. This was a bold grab for power and Jacob saw it and God saw it. And therefore God removed power from Reuben because he was trying to claim power for himself. This is the exact same thing that happens to the next two brothers, Simeon and Levi. Keep on reading verses five and seven, five through seven. It says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger, they killed men and in their will, willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So it says Simeon and Levi, they are not going to be powerful. Power is going to be removed from them. They're going to be scattered and divided. Why? Because of what took place back in Genesis chapter 34. If you go back to that story, then you read about what a guy Shechem did to, their, to Simeon and Levi's little sister Dinah. It says that Shechem violated Dinah. And it so ticked off Simeon and Levi that they came to the city that was named after this boy Shechem. That city was called Shechem. And they slaughtered not just Shechem and not just the, the daddy of Shechem. They'd slaughtered every male in the village. Hundreds and hundreds of innocent men were slaughtered. Why? Because Simeon and Levi wanted to show them, ain't nobody messed with our little sister. It was a play of power. We're going to show you he's got true power. It was a power grab. And so what does God do? He removes power from these people. They're trying to claim power for themselves and God is removing power from them. Now, I actually think there's an incredible truth you and I need to glean from this. So what I said before, something we got to watch out with. Every time we try to grab power and attain it for ourselves, God will remove power from us. God will not bless that. And there are many times when we try to have power. And sometimes it happens, like I said earlier, in subtle ways. It's you trying to control your kids, trying to control your friends, trying to control your work, trying to control your spouse, whatever is around you, trying to control people and circumstances to get what you want when you want it. Anytime you attempt to do that, it will end up blowing up in your face. You have to have a healthy respect for the dangers of power. 
you know, it's, it's a lot like electricity. I, I know there are some of you watching this and you're DIYers and you're a do-it-yourself kind of guy and, and you, you're willing to do most any project in your home. You'll do carpentry, you'll put up sheetrock, you'll do plumbing, but the one thing you won't do is you won't work on electricity because you don't want to be that dude that gets zapped. You're, you have a healthy fear of electricity. Hey, that's a good thing. Let me go ahead and remind you that. But let me also tell you, you need to have a healthy fear, not just of electrical power. You need to have a healthy fear of spiritual power, relational power, and emotional power. That power is just as dangerous. And when we play around with it, we're going to get burned. We're going to end up in the hospital, just like Tim the Toolman Taylor. We've got to be cautious with power. But there is a way to get true power in a way that God blesses, in a way that will not blow up in our face. But it comes in the most counterintuitive of ways. And the only way you're going to see it is if we see how the descendants of Jacob got power. There was one particular child, one son, that was given a true sense of God's power that was different from all the other ones. And I think as we read through all of them, you're going to notice which one it is. So let's keep on reading and see how Jacob blesses his children. Verse 13, it says, Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his, brother, his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Nephtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Now stop there. So you see as he's, as he's doling out here power and blessing upon his children, and you can tell Joseph, he got some special words. He got five verses of blessing and there was a whole lot said about him. In fact, just in verses 25 and 26, he uses the word blessings, barak in Hebrew, six times in two verses. Trust me, in Hebrew, that's saying something. That's saying he was super duper duper blessed by him. And absolutely no doubt about it, he's being blessed for his obedience and his faith. But actually, Joseph was not the one who was most blessed, not the one who was given most power. It was another brother. It was a brother I actually skipped over. And this is the one who was given true power. It was in verses eight through 12, it was that brother Judah. I want you to go back to those verses, read these and see what God says through Jacob upon this boy Judah. Verse eight. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So it says it's Judah, the one that's gonna be praised by the brothers. Now that word praise in Hebrew is yada. It was a word that was almost always used about God, not about human beings. And yet it's saying your brothers are gonna praise you and extol you this way, Judah, not Joseph, Judah. And it says in verse eight, your, your father's sons shall bow down to you, Judah. That's a really ironic statement because back in Genesis 37, Joseph was the one who had the dream that the brothers would bow down to him. And that was fulfilled in Genesis 42. And yet here it is. And now Jacob is saying, but in the future, Judah, your brothers will bow down to you and to your descendants. He says in verse 10, the scepter, the rule will not depart from you, Judah. The ruler's staff will be between your feet. Tribute will come to you and your descendants. All the obedience of the peoples will come to you, Judah. Now there is no doubt in ambiguity here. Every single scholar, Christian and Jewish, agrees that this is referring to King David, to the Davidic line, but also to the Messiah. The one who would come that all the people would obey, that he would be both savior and ruler of all the nations. Now there's a side when you read this, especially in the context of the sermon series, starting back in Genesis 37, walking with Joseph, where you're saying, wait, Joseph's the hero. Joseph's the one who acted in faith. Joseph is the one who interpreted the dream and, and saved his family from the famine. Joseph is the one who's supposed to be the royal line. Why in the world is it Judah? And actually, that's a great question. But the answer to that, if you'll really understand the spiritual concept behind it, it will utterly transform the way you view power and your access to it. Here's what it is, very simple truth. True power comes by giving up power. This is the truth the world simply cannot grasp because it is so counterintuitive. True power comes by giving up power. Not by grabbing power, but by sacrificing power. This is why Judah got to be the one who is the forefather of the kingly line of Israel. This is why he got to be the forerunner of the Messiah himself. Trust me, it was not because of his obedience. I mean, if you know Judah's life, if you've been tracking along, you know how, how messed up that boy Judah really is. Judah was the one who actually suggested to the brothers, let's sell our little brother Joseph to be a slave. Judah was the one who would not give his son like he was supposed to to Tamar to provide for her. In fact, he ended up sleeping with Tamar because he thought she was a prostitute. I mean, his record was as smeared as could possibly be. There is no reason because of his obedience that Judah should ever be the father of the royal line and of the Messiah. But the reason why he was able to be the forefather, the reason why he was given the power, he was given preeminence over all his brothers was because he was the one who was willing to give up power. And now maybe you missed it. It actually happened a few weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we had Pastor Ender and he was preaching, sharing through Genesis chapters 43 through 45. And part of that story was the role of Judah. Now in this particular story, they had been told from the second highest in the land of Egypt, the brothers had no clue this was their brother Joseph. They were told they had to go back to Canaan, get their little brother Benjamin and, and bring him back. But Jacob, the father, didn't want to lose his last son, Benjamin. So he refused to do it until Judah finally stood up and he said, listen, I'll make sure he comes back. I want you to go back and read it because he says something powerful in Genesis 43, verses eight and nine. 
It says, and Judah said to Israel, remember, that's Jacob. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. He's saying, I'll be responsible. I'll bear the blame and the guilt and whatever it is. I'll be the pledge. Don't worry, daddy. And he was going to have to put his money where his mouth was because at the end of the next chapter in chapter 44, he's standing before the second highest in the land of Egypt. And out of a trick that was played, there was a silver cup that was put, planted in Benjamin's bag. And now this guy, they don't realize it's Joseph, their brother, says, nope, Benjamin is going to be incarcerated. All you can leave. He's going to stay back here, my prisoner. And it was Judah who stood up and he said, my Lord, please don't take the boy. Let me take his guilt. Let me bear his penalty. Let me own whatever punishment should come upon him. I'll be his substitute. I'll be his sacrifice. Let him go. And it was this move of giving up power, giving up freedom, giving up his own life that changed his brother Joseph's heart. This was the turning point for Joseph. Now, as you're you're going through the story, what you discover is that Joseph didn't want to have anything to do with his family. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 41, it, it tells in that story toward the end of it, verse 51, that he names his firstborn Manasseh, which means to forget. Because he says, finally, I'm able to forget the hardships of my past and I'm able to forget my father's house. He was so grateful he could put that abusive past behind him and forget his brothers, forget his father and just move on with his life. He didn't want to have anything to do with them when they busted back into his life by God's divine orchestration. And here he is and he's not sure what to do with it. He wants his full brother Benjamin, but he doesn't want the brothers anymore. That's why he's not revealing who he is until he sees this move of radical love and self-sacrifice from Judah. When Judah says, I'll give up my freedom, I'll give up my power, please. And he does it for the sake of somebody else. That utterly transformed Joseph's heart. It says after that moment, he just starts weeping in front of them. And then he says, guys, come here. I'm your brother, Joseph. And that's what led to the reconciliation. That's what led to Joseph saving the brothers and Jacob, their father, and bringing them to Goshen. It was this move, this move of incredible power. Why? Because true power comes by giving up power by self-sacrifice. And Judah, when he did this, he brought upon himself and his own descendancy the power of that move. True power comes only by giving up power. Sacrifice brings power. You know, you know what's interesting about this whole thing is that I, I think we understand this concept and we, you see it all over society. In fact, if you just look at the movies that you watch, you're going to see this same theme run in so many of your favorite movies. Maybe you've seen uh, the movie Braveheart before. You know, that, that scene when William Wallace, at the very end of the movie, when, when he's tried to lead warfare and he keeps getting defeated, nothing's happening. And then finally at the end, he's willing to sacrifice his own body as a prisoner and he will not recant. And here they are, they're ripping out his guts and they're, they're killing him and torturing him. And it has that moment where he yells, Freedom! And then every single guy who's seen that gets tingly all over because you know the power in that, mo- that moment. And that's what turned the tide. It was that move, that move of power of self-sacrifice that allowed the, the troops to win. You see this theme again. I mean, think about it. I mean, you, you can go to Star Wars and it, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi who's willing to sacrifice himself to save 
young Luke. It's Darth Vader who's willing to kill the emperor by sacrificing himself. You see the same move again and again. Lord of the Rings, you got Boromir and he, he totally transforms himself when he's in love with the power of the ring, but he's finally willing to sacrifice himself to save Frodo and Samwise. And, and that move of sacrifice is the, the turning point, the most powerful moment. You go, to, you go to Iron Man, you know, you got Tony Stark and, and you have the Avengers. This whole series is building up to the, the, the most poignant, powerful moment is when Tony Stark is willing to put on the glove and let himself die in order to save everybody else. Over and over, the same. Harry Potter, I mean, how many people die in this one to save somebody else? You got Albus Dumbledore willing to die to, to make sure Severus Snape is where he needs to be. Severus Snape willing to die to protect Harry Potter. Harry Potter willing to die in order to take down Voldemort. Over and over, the same theme. This is why her books sell so much. Because we know there's power in self-sacrifice. There's power when we give up power. That's true power. But listen, all these stories, the reason why they move us the reason why we're drawn into them is because they're all echoes of the greatest sacrifice ever made. They all point to the one who would give up the most power and therefore bring the greatest power. Even Judah's story, absolutely. He was willing to be a substitute for his brother Benjamin, willing to bear the penalty, take the punishment upon himself. But that is just an echo pointing to someone who would come from the line of Judah, from the line of King David, a Messiah named Jesus. And this Messiah would show us the greatest power in the history of humanity when he would give up himself. But listen, when Jesus, he gave up himself, he was giving up infinite power because he was God in the flesh. And when Jesus gives up infinite power, it brings an even greater and more infinite power that allows you and I to have salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. This is why it backfired in Satan's face. He thought he was destroying the Messiah and he didn't understand that there's a deeper magic to quote C.S. Lewis, that there's a truth that when he gave up power, infinite power, he only brought an even greater power. And that's why you and I can have salvation because the true lamb of God gave up everything and found the truest power there is. That's the message of the gospel. Listen, I, I think there are a lot of you, you actually already know that message. But there's a problem. You see, you have this head knowledge over here, but you've never integrated your life into it. There comes a moment when you have to move beyond just knowing that true power comes by giving up power. And you have to choose to follow Jesus' example. For every single one of us, there must come a moment when we say, I'm willing to lay down my sword. I'm willing to lay down my power, my will, my desires, my control. I'm going to stop trying to control people and circumstances to get what I want when I want it. And I'm going to lay down my power. The Bible calls this denying self crucifying self, that we have to pick up our cross. We have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. We have to die. But when we give up power, when we self-sacrifice, that's when we discover the true power, the power of God, this power that will not blow up in our face, will not distort us and control relationships, this power that will actually transform our hearts and give us a new start, give us the ability to be new today, a different person than we were yesterday this power to have eternal life, but it comes when we give up power, willingly give up power. 
And I wonder, are there some of you right now, and you look at your relationships and you're going, man, I'm tired of, I'm tired of burning every relationship I have. I'm trying to, tired of trying to control people and, and pushing people away and wrecking my life. I'm tired of it. I need something new. And maybe you'd be honest enough to say, I'm tired of trying to even control God. I'm, trying to, I'm tired of trying to tell God to give me what I want when I want it and just see my relationship with God broken. I'm ready to reconcile with God. I, whatever it takes, if it means I gotta lay down my sword, give up my rights, give up my freedom and my power, even my own life, I'll do it if that's how I get your power, God. Listen, if you're ready to take that step of faith, it's not a hard thing to do. Word of God tells us we just have to confess our sin. God, I'm tired, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm tired of my own sin and brokenness. I'm sorry, I've rebelled against you. And I ask for your forgiveness. And then you say, Lord, take over. That's you saying, I relinquish my power. Give me your power. You be my Lord. You be my Savior. When you call upon the name of the Lord, the word of God says you will be saved. Today, if you're ready to do that, ready to find salvation in God's true power, then here's what we want to do. We want to connect with you. Now, I know you're watching this in home or wherever you are online and we're not able to be together, but we can connect together. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. You can go to your computer. You can go to fielder.org slash next step and you'll get a brief little form that you fill out and let us know that you're ready to follow Christ or, or maybe you want to talk with a pastor. You have questions or you need prayer over something. But you can go to filler.org slash next step and let us know. Or if you have your phone, you can just text the word next step to 94253. And just like you see it right there on your screen, that's the way that you can connect with us and you let us know. And we will reach out to you within 24 hours. We'll call you, email you, connect with you, pray with you, help you take that step of faith. Listen, I believe there are some of you who may need to decide to do the ultimate step of faith in Christ, which is called baptism. Baptism is when you're indicating, I'm dying. I'm, I'm going into the grave, into the water, and I'm raising up a new life. We're showing that we're laying down our sword. We're giving up our power so that we can get God's power. And here at Fielder, we have baptism celebrations. We'll have another one coming up in December. And you may need to let us know so that we can get you prepared for that, to declare your faith in Christ Jesus. But it, it requires a step. So please reach out to us. Let us know so we can connect. But I also know there are many of you watching and you have already made this, step, this faith step. You've been baptized. You've declared your faith in Christ Jesus. You have said, I give up my rights and be Lord of my life. But let me remind you, that is not something that you do one time and then you're good to go. Every morning you wake up, you have to say, today, God, I lay down my sword. Today, God, I give up my desire to try to control people and circumstances to get what I want when I want it. I give you control of my life today. And I know there's some of you watching this right now. And if you were honest with yourself, you fell in this area. You've had times when you've tried to take back control and you've been manipulating or passive aggressive or domineering or whatever it may be. And you've been trying to, to, to get power, to gain power, to exercise power over people, even maybe that you love and you've hurt them. Or maybe you've been trying to do that to God, tell God how he should run the show. And maybe you need to repent of that. In a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper and you're gonna have a chance during this song of preparation to say, God, forgive me for this. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're looking at the greatest act of power that came through giving up power. And I wanted to encourage us and prepare us so that we too can give up power as we remember the cross, that has the final word because the cross was Jesus giving up power, which brings true power. So prepare your heart, and then when that's over, make sure you get the Lord's Supper supplies. I'll lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. But get yourself ready. Time's now.